0: something that we don't talk a lot about, um, and there's been laws put in place to protect, protect, in quotes, the consumer against this practice in ways. Today, I want to talk about pocket listings, and are they good or are they bad for both the real estate agent and the industry, as well as are they good or bad for the consumer? want to talk about that on today's podcast.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into this because I don't do a lot of deals anymore, but I like to do a few deals so that I can keep my finger on the pulse and kind of feel, hear, experience the same thing that our agents are um, feeling, hearing and experiencing. And I actually have two very recent examples of where this comes into play. So I'm excited to share these examples and how they uh dovetail as uh, our boy Barry Jenkins likes to talk about how they dovetail into this pocket listing conversation Cool Awesome well my name is Kyle Whistle with Whistle Realty Group here in San Diego
0: My name Oh, you you took a breath like you were going to go. My name is Brian (laughs) Kochi, Director of Marketing here at Whistle
1: Realty Group. (laughs) The goal of the show is give you the tools, techniques, and tactics to crush it in your business. The way that we like to do that is to answer the questions that you have for us. So if you have a question, you can always go to thewhistleway.com. You can ask us questions on there. Subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel. Join our private Facebook group and get on our email newsletter where we share a lot of tips and tricks. You can get our referral network for all the outbound referrals we have from everybody leaving California. Hi, hey, both of these clients are leaving California. Coincidence? Uh, so these are two referral opportunities. So get on that at thewhistleway.com. You can also get on our video content creation course where you, Brian and I teach you everything we've learned about creating video content over the last eight plus years together. We'll shortcut that learning curve so you can get out there and start crushing it with content immediately. Thewhistleway.com. I
0: was just talking to one of our long-term subscribers, Ryan. Shout out to Ryan and he was like hey I, finally I, I was able to take the course and kind of kind of tweak it to what i was already doing and making that better and once i had that kind of framework built it was really easy to to copy and paste it in, into my my real estate business and then he said he wanted to hire like 20 vAs so that was a very different conversation so okay uh yeah that's that also i did update the whistleway.com to make it easier and more pretty to ask a question on the show.
1: Beautiful. That's pretty, Brian.
0: He hasn't seen it, but I, I hope he doesn't, because he go. actually, you should move it down three pixels. And anyways, so today's conversation, we're going to be talking about pocket listing, Kyle. And here's the question that I came up with, and not ChatGPT, it was just me all by myself, is uh, tell me about the use of pocket listings in the real estate industry. Are they a fair practice, or do they contribute to market inefficiencies and reduced transparency?
1: He totally came up with that
0: all by myself. Just like, maybe, maybe I should ask that question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So this will tie back to, um, a quote that I've been like really loving lately. And it's from Darren Hardy and it's, it's everything makes sense. If you have enough information, everything makes sense. If you have enough information. So, There are times where people will be like, pocket listings aren't fair. Like, you should never do them. It's wrong. You screwed over the seller. Like, I mean, those are terms, right? Those that are on the bad side of pocket listings. Like, that's what people think. Or screwed over the buyer. It's I mean, yeah. There's or or, just, or the,
0: the potential buyers, someone who wanted to buy it and didn't and did get, get the a, opportunity,
1: which I think is where they came in with the clear cooperation yes. thing came into play, which we can hit on that a little bit more. But um, at the end of the day, everything makes sense if you have enough information, and all I right. think this is really good. I mean, I just finished up a, a tough conversation with one of our agents because there was something tough that happened over the weekend, but I didn't have all the information, and so I've been taking. Uh, a few steps back more than a step back with sometimes a few step backs to gather more information so that I can try to understand why something happened to see if it makes sense. Right? Like, cause if I have enough information, it makes sense. But if I jump to conclusions, which we do a lot in this industry or shit, any relationships, those of you guys that are married, like we all jump to conclusions a lot as a parent you do like, but if you don't have enough information, then things might not make sense. But when you gather enough information, they start to make sense. And so people will say like, pocket listings are bad. You're screwing people over. Like, well, let's talk. Like one of my first exposures to a pocket listing, and this was one that the seller required me to do a pocket listing. Cause now one people, a lot of times assume that the agent is the one making that decision. No, you actually don't have enough information because my first ever pocket listing that I met with a seller, the seller was literally running for public office is running for state Senator at the time and said, I can't have this public. Like I cannot have anybody knowing that my home is for sale while I'm running for office.
0: I would assume a majority of the time, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is, I think, this is my experience at least here. Almost all of the time, it's seller requested. No. Interesting. No, I, it's not. I, I was. I've always been under the impression it was seller requested for privacy reasons. Right. That's an example. They're getting a divorce and they don't want their neighbors to know about it. Um, that type there, of there's stuff.
1: There's absolutely seller requested reasons, and those are the few of them. You have the one where you know there's it's a hoarder house Mm -hmm. and people are like, Hey, I I don't want this public. Like my neighbors don't know that I'm a hoarder or uh, as they often refer to themselves as collectors. Um, like I don't want my neighbors seeing inside my house. I'm embarrassed by, and people would admit this to you. I mean, like I've, you know, talked about, I, the fact I took so many psychology classes in college has really paid dividends because sometimes as a realtor, we're a realtor slash psychologist. Now I'm just more of a, as a team leader, more of a psychologist. (laughs) Um, Is that the one that prescribes drugs? Is that (laughs) Psychiatrist. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, We won't go there. Um, (laughs) So you need to know, I totally just lost my train of thought. The
0: more information you have, once you have enough information, everything makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, Oh,
0: people think that it's agent led but they, they think
1: that it's agent led yeah but you the hoarder situation so you you could have somebody's that they don't want it to go public but like people are assuming oh you screwed that seller over because you didn't put their home on the market they were freaking embarrassed to put their house on the market. and i've had sellers admit that to me like mm-hmm. that's fine like hey i if that's where you're at that's fine i'm gonna meet you there right i'll nope. meet you where you're at and if you're embarrassed by your house and you don't want it to go public like that's fine um but other realtors say like, Oh, you, you screwed them over. You're doing this. No, you just don't have enough information. If you had enough information, then it would make sense to you. And same thing. Like you talked about the divorce one. I've had many of those where, you know, it's, it's two spouses are getting divorced and they, they're tight with people in the neighborhood and they don't want anybody in the neighborhood to know until the moving truck pulls up. Like they don't want to tell people till they have to,
0: they don't want the um, rumor mill to, to circulate until they're gone. If guys yeah. can talk about me
1: there, but not, not Absolutely. And, yeah. and I've had countless other scenarios like that. So there's scenarios like that, that absolutely make sense, right? If, if the seller does not want it to go public, then so be it. But what happens is I would argue those of you that think it's wrong I think you're wrong. Like if you meet with a seller and the seller says, I don't want the home to go on the market. And your first reaction is like, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? Like, don't you want to sell for the highest price? Like you need to, you got to put it on the market. Like I, that's why you didn't get the listing. If you're wondering, that's why, because you just, you made a, a poor assumption because you didn't have enough information. If you had enough information to know that divorce was happening with a hoard or whatever, like you probably wouldn't have told them they were stupid, but you whether you said it or you inferred it, like that's why you lost the listing. If somebody doesn't want it, then it's your job meet them where they're at. Like you're don't assume that everybody wants to put their house on the market. I think that's a, a false assumption that a lot of realtors make. Gather the information and then make the recommendation. The same thing when you meet with, you know, a doctor, a doctor is going to to you know, ask a series of questions and run a series of tests on you and they're going to make a recommendation based on that they don't just walk in the room and immediately tell you look at you like a oh, flu <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're gonna ask some questions and figure out what <laughs> symptoms you're having like that's gonna look at you
0: broken arm <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> like gather some information and, and it might make sense to you so uh there's those situations and then there, there's other situations where you know you have somebody like this is so this experience happened and this ties a couple of deals together so recently <clears throat> i listed a home for the seller wanted 1.8 million and i told him that was too low i wanted to list it for 1.9 million and he was like oh my gosh that's that's so high i'm i'm worried we're not going to get it i said hey i got you like you have a special house we're going to get you this number i'm confident we put it on the market and we end up getting six offers and almost all of them are in the Uh, let's see, four of them were at list, one was a little bit above list, and one was way the hell over the list price. Well, what happened in that scenario is that one person, you know, bid a crazy number, got the house, five other people lost the house. Well, what happened to those five people, they're now going to see what number it closes at, which is a really high number, like, this is one of the highest over list I've ever had in my career. Um, It's more than a quarter million dollars over list just to give perspective on this. Um, Now those five buyers, when this thing closes, they're going to see the number that it closed at and they're going to look back at their number and be like, damn, I was like over a quarter million dollars off on that house. Well, what's going to happen the next time they get a crack at a house like that?
0: They're They're going to be like, man,
1: I, I better really step it up on this house. But then what if they got offered an opportunity let's say it was a model match house in the same neighborhood, the same house, they get another bite at the apple. They get another chance at their dream house. And now it's presented to them and it's, Hey, Brian, you know, we have a house. Um, I know you guys were looking in the area and you know, if you want, I can deliver this house, but you're going to have to pay a premium for it. So now not only are you going to have to pay what the model match is sold for, you're actually going to have to pay above that, but, you might be willing to do that because the when you missed out on that house the first time, that might not be the first house you missed out on. You might have missed out on two, three, four, five. You know, we're getting into this market again. You might have missed out on 10 houses. If you now get a chance, this is the house and you can get it if you pay a premium for it. You're basically paying a premium like they do this on eBay. There's like you could bid on buy a house now. and there's a buy it now price. If you don't want to deal with the bid and wait the six more freaking days for the auction to end, there's a number, and it's a high number. You could go pay the number, and it's yours. It's done. It's over. Congratulations. You won the auction on eBay, or in this case, you won the house.
0: And on eBay, it might go. So the, the buy it now price could be 500 bucks, but it could get bid up to 750 So the buying it now doesn't mean you're paying the most, and I think that's exactly where you're getting, doesn't mean you're paying the most, It just means you're locking it down at a price. And it's
1: yours. Yeah. It's done. And so there's a lot of buyers right now that are in that same mindset that will pay a premium to avoid having to go into a potential bidding war. Mm -hmm. Because that buyer just got in a bidding war and lost the house because somebody overpaid by a quarter million or more. What's to say this new house hits the market and somebody else doesn't come pay a quarter million over that. Right. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. So what happens is buyers get to a certain point. They've been beat out so many times that they're like, I'll do anything. Like you literally tell me to, you know, ask me to jump and I'll say how high, like there's buyers that get to that point. So there's a, uh, a time and a place where it makes sense. Even if a seller doesn't desire to do a pocket listing that it might make sense to sell it off market or it's still effectively a pocket listing at that point, if it never goes public.
0: Yeah. Pre-market. Yeah.
1: Right. So I had one recently where comps would say this house is probably worth 1.3. Like if you ran the numbers on this, the comps say 1.3 million. And the seller told me, Hey, we had this, you know, couple that had come look at it and looked at this house and they really want it. And I said, Hey, you know what? If they'll pay one, four, five for the house, we should take, like, let's do this deal. If they'll pay one, if they'll pay 150 over what the comps say your house is worth, do the deal. And went to the buyer, and buyer said, All right, let's do it. Let's go. Because the buyer didn't want the house to hit the mark. I actually had two other people who wanted to go see the house that were chomping at the bid to get it. Who knows what it could have got bid up to if we went on the market. So, in that scenario, that buyer had probably looked at multiple other homes prior. And got beat out over and over and over again. And there was this opportunity, and they said, You know what? We don't wanna lose this house. This is the one, and we'll pay a premium to get it. And they did. And now it made sense for that buyer. The buyer got what they wanted, and it makes sense for the seller because the seller got a premium. Now, could it have gone for more in the market? Maybe, but we will never know. But a bird in the hand is very, very valuable. And they got exactly, you know, they got a a number that was higher than what they were expecting. And at the same time, they didn't have to deal with all the uncertainties The, you know, they didn't have to deal with getting the house prepped and the showings and the open houses and who knows when an offer is going to come in and what are the terms of the offer and right like they there's so much variability and uncertainty. So in my eyes, that's that's a win for both parties, right? The seller got a premium over what the comps would say the home was worth and they didn't have to deal with any of those those headaches on the flip side, the buyer got the house they wanted and didn't have to compete. Did they pay the buy it now price as opposed to the the auction on eBay? Yeah, but they got what they wanted too and in my eyes, that's a win win so you know my personal opinion is I think that they're with enough information it makes sense and in that scenario with that information, that deal makes sense because they don't want to end up in the scenario with like the other deal where it got bid up a quarter million dollars because that could happen too
0: yeah and and different people certainly that peace of mind. I know I sold my house when Silla was buying houses at ridiculous prices, thank you Zillow. Uh, I, I know, I've sold one house and it was very easy and I'm terrified to ever sell another house because it was very easy, literally, like you said, didn't have to do open houses, didn't have to show. I mean, having the house show ready, we have two little kids now. Uh, we have a 48 cat. cats. we have a cat, and having it perfect every day, my, my aunt who lives with us, she goes, we have a cleaning lady that comes every two weeks and she goes how does the house get destroyed the same day the cleaning lady comes she comes in the morning we get home at night and she goes there's stuff everywhere so having to deal with that uh and and keeping it clean and someone calls say hey can we show it at two o'clock dude i'm at work no like i can't clean up now uh there's definitely that that stress that we don't have to deal with which is phenomenal all right so you said there's two deals by the way tom but remind me we're not doing photos for kyle at all this year we're not going to do any listing photos because I'm sure we fo- did the listing photos and then it went off market probably. So uh, just remind me, make him get it off market before we take photos. <laughs> uh, so that was one deal. You well, I tied, you
1: two- them to, I tied both together there, right? Okay. I tied the one that did go to the market that went gotcha, more gotcha. than a quarter million over. And then I tied it to one that didn't go to the market, right? That went 150 over. So I tied those both together for you.
0: So one, give me one sentence. Pocket listings, they're good or they're bad?
1: Everything makes sense if you have enough information.
0: So tell me, just a so minutes. So I
1: think if it makes sense, right, with the right information, it does make sense and it's a good thing and it can be a good thing for both parties.
0: Tell me in situations where, where you see agents and I'm confident they're not working here, I'm confident it's not you. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have asked this question. Right. So
1: there is a place where it can be bad. So tell, tell th- me. The that. answer, I guess the answer is our population is good and bad. They're both. Yeah. Right. There's, there's absolutely scenarios where people get screwed. Like there's, there's for sure there's scenarios where, you know, agents who are not of high uh, standards and ethics that would come in and, and see an opportunity to make two commissions and, you know, get a deal done. And, and, you know, they're maybe not doing what's best for the seller or the buyer or both. Like there's that scenario where they take advantage of a seller. Like, I, you know, I've absolutely seen that happen. Um, when... And then this is where it ties into it It could be bad too, because the whole reason clear cooperation was put into place was that deals were happening like that and buyers weren't getting a fair shake, right? There's other buyers who probably would have paid more money, but they never got a chance at it because the deal got done off market at, you know, below market rate. And so a lot of buyers were complaining about it. And sellers were complaining because there's deals that would get done where, you know, an agent would convince a seller to sell a property and then somebody would buy it and somebody else would go tell the seller, like, hey, if you would have told me you were going to sell, I would have paid way more money than what you sold it for. Like, why did you sell it so low? Like, that was happening. And so those sellers would get upset. They would complain. So you had buyers complaining they didn't get a chance at the deal. And then you had sellers complaining that some agent took advantage of them and, and sold their deal off market for below market rates. And some buyer was willing to pay them way more than what they sold it for. So I think there's, there's absolutely scenarios like that where it is bad and it, it doesn't make sense. Um, but there's situations where it can be good too. So I don't I think when done right with the right information, they do make sense, but there's absolutely agents who abuse pocket listings and and are not looking out for the buyer and seller's best interest. They're looking out for their own interest and thinking like, oh, I could do this thing off market and make two commissions, or I could save money and not have to, you know, spend it on market. Like there, there's for sure there's gonna be agents who um can turn this into something that is solely in their best interest and not the client's.
0: And I think the way you handle that is make sure you're giving the client all the information. So I know there's, as you invest in properties, you buy properties, uh, this happened w- again with someone I know is, is you say, hey look, there's three options. Your house needs some some work before it can, you have three options, it, it, it needs work, right? Either one, I'll buy it at 60 cents on the dollar, don't think it's a great option, but if you need cash in three weeks, I got you. Two is you work with this process, they'll do it whatever, they'll they'll flip your house and renovate it and then sell it. But you need someone to stay for two months while they renovate it and you gotta carry those costs and you know, and then you can get, you know, 120 cents on the dollar. That's not right. It's fine 20. Just keep going. Well, I guess it's the same thing. Or option three is you list it as as is, but people are gonna see your house, the the quality it's in and and yeah, you'll get fair market, but you already mentioned that that's not what you want to do because you, you you're not proud of where your house is at. So I think being where 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 people can make it really bad is they don't give that transparency and go, yeah, your house is pretty rough. If you're lucky, you'll get this. I'll give you I'll give you this right now if you want. I don't think you'll get it and, and take advantage of those people without giving them the options. Yeah, and that's where I think it can get really bad, and where I think we do a good job because I've seen it firsthand of. These are your options. I will do whatever one you want. I don't think me buying it is the best thing for you. Like, it's 60 cents on the dollar, but I'll do it if that's what you need. So I think that's where where I think we do a good job with handling clear cooperation. And clear cooperation had to be put in place because I don't think a lot of people were.
1: Yep. Cool. Yeah, and then our contracts, you know, here in California, obviously, we're the one of the most litigious states in the country. There's very clear sections in the agreement too that make sure a seller is is aware if you do not put your home on the market, like here is the potential risk. You know, you you're not getting full exposure. Blah blah blah. Like so, there's a very clear section like uh, outlined. To make sure we bring attention to our sellers of like, look, if you do, there are potential risk with selling a home off market. So California's made it very clear too to make sure to try to prevent the agent who is not looking out for the client's best interest um, by making sellers very aware of of the risk of selling off market.
0: Is clear cooperation is just a California thing? No, so it's NAR, it's okay. national. Yeah,
1: so as at least my understanding is, it's nationwide. So. Um, that was absolutely was put in place to try to to prevent people from being taken advantage of, and, and I have Good. no problem with it. Absolutely, yeah, we play by the rules, but it does pay to be a part of the biggest brokerage in the county because <laughs> we are allowed to share off market opportunities within our brokerage um, completely legally. Um, and I, I think I shared this already as a widget of the week, so but I'll I'll just mention it again. Like there's a really cool tool. We'll give a shout out to our friend Shane at Raven uh raven.re they have a really cool product that allows you to share off-market opportunities within your team or your brokerage um, and stay within the clear cooperation policy so you know here locally with exp in san diego we have you know hundreds or maybe even a few thousand agents i think we're up to a few thousand exp agents in san diego now we're allowed to share those our new listings within our exp network um, because we're all within the same brokerage, which is really cool. So that's uh, check out Raven.re is a really cool product that can help you in, in your local market within your brokerage to share some of these opportunities.
0: And it's it's so much better organized than we've done in the past. We used to have a a Facebook group, and we would post stuff, and then we had a Slack channel. We say, "Hey, this is happening," and then it wouldn't happen, or "Hey, does anyone know something?" And it was just such a mess. And you're like, "Do this already?" You you would respond to something from three months ago, and they're like, "Dude, that's sold. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about." And so, this is not a. Raven, you are not our widget of the week this week but we've you guys, already you got a really good plug. been our widget of the week
1: but <laughs> we'll give you a plug because it ties perfectly into this excellent let's get into it sweet so I hope you guys got a lot of value out of that if you did if you are uh, watching on YouTube if you could hit the thumbs up button let YouTube know you're enjoying the content that is greatly appreciated if you have a question throw it in the comment section Brian and I personally respond to all of those that uh comments that get posted and if you want more of our content on YouTube hit the subscribe button and the little notification bell and if you're on a podcast platform if you can make sure uh subscribe to the podcast and then if you write a review those reviews are extremely difficult to get on podcast platforms. As a result, they go a really long way. So if you could spend five minutes and just write a review about, you know, whether it was this episode or a previous episode that really benefited you and your business. And if you could write a review, that just means a lot to Brian and I, and it's, it's greatly appreciated in advance. Um, before we wrap, what we like to do is share something that we utilize in our business. that saves us time, makes us more money or helps us have more fun in the industry. We refer to this as the whistle widget of the week. What do you got for us, Brian?
0: My widget is for those, uh, agents that have a team, whether big or small, and that care about consistency in their brand look. I can't tell you how many times I communicate with people over email and see, and I'm sure you guys see it as agents, a ton more. And you'll see emails coming from the same company and every single one looks different. And we use this tool called Zink, dot io, And what it allows us is to do with our G Suite is connect all of our users into our Gmail, and we can have all of our email signatures look exactly the same. And so exactly the same with with Variety, to where I mean you have the same same layout, but I can have your photo for you, my photo for me, right? Uh, And it's really nice, it's really seamless. Another really cool thing about it, the reason why we went with this, One is it makes a better onboarding experience, so we don't have to say, okay, copy this and change your phone number here. and That's not a great onboarding experience. But two is as we have opportunities that we want to update to our entire database to everyone we're sending an email to, we can update our email signature. Maybe we're representing a new listing or a, a, a new product that we want to share with everyone. Maybe we have a new USP, a unique selling proposition that we want to share with everyone. Or we updated it to where, hey, we're looking to join our... Or our team is growing. Let me know if you want to join our team. We can update that really easily with literally at this point, a click of a button or two and make sure our company-wide communication is going out consistently to everyone.
1: I love that. Yeah. Cool. The one I want to share, uh, we travel a lot and uh, one of the biggest pain points in travel is renting a car. It sucks. Anytime you rent a car, one, you have no idea what kind of car you're renting. Like, you don't know if you're going to get a Honda Civic or a Chevy Suburban, right? Like, you literally don't know what you're going to get. You get to the counter, and then they just, like, pull keys out of a hat, and that's what the car that you get. Find but it. the <laughs> counter at the rental car terminal is, like, I don't know about you, but every time I go, it seems to take a half hour every time. And then you get there and somebody just keeps like pecking away at this keyboard. You're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, I reserved the car, give me the damn keys. And they just sit there. Yeah. What, what the fuck is happening right they're now? Coding like, a website. I wish I could see the other side of the fucking screen. Like, <laughs> what are we doing for 30 minutes? Yep. Like, it You're is right. the most ridiculous, antiquated process. And I understand there's some companies that have made this a little bit better, but it's it's just overall, it's a shitty experience. Um, and so- You
0: are adamant about this, man. I you are if, amped. I got,
1: <laughs> I got screwed on one recently. So we use, uh, the, the solution to this is called Turo, T-U-R-O. I love Turo. Um, and it's it's effectively like a, a Airbnb Verbo kind of thing for cars. So you could put your, um, you don't have your Fiesta anymore, but you could put your Ford Edge on there. Um, and people can rent your car directly. Right? It's peer to peer. So uh, the one time I ever had an issue with it was literally the while we were on the plane, that particular vehicle got recalled. Like it was a big safety recall. So our Turo got canceled while we were in the air flying. And so we we're like, there was just not enough time to rebook a Turo because we literally landed and found out it was canceled. And it was not Turo's fault or the owner's fault. It was Ford's fault because piece yeah. of shit um don't get me started <laughs> so we got stuck having to rent a car it was awful like it took so damn long to rent a freaking car it was terrible so we use Turo all the time and every time I use Turo um some owners actually will like want to meet you at the curb like when you're you're renting uh and you're flying in they'll literally just meet you curbside and be like here's a car and they have like you know, a friend or family member, they follow them home. in a second car. <laughs> or th- I actually prefer the ones that don't do that. I prefer the ones that just park the car for you. Like, Hey, cars in uh, space 57 on the third floor. And just uh, some of them have like a lockbox on the door. Uh, some of them have like a keypad and some of them, they're like, just shoot me a text when you get there and I'll unlock it remotely. And you literally just walk up open door and drive away. Like done. It's so easy. Take a couple pictures of the car, like for damage waiver and stuff. and And you're gone. And then when you're done, you just pull up, park the car, take a picture, tell the owner, Hey, it's on the fourth floor space 72. And they're like, all right, bye. Thanks. And you're done. Like it's so freaking easy. Um, and you know exactly what car you're getting. There's no mystery. Uh, this it, is gonna it's be not a, another the, branch the of our business. That, it's <laughs> not the key that comes out of the fishbowl. I like guess it's, <laughs> it's, it's whatever car you wanted. So I love Turo. Like it's the only way to go these days. Um, a huge fan.
0: Kyle's going to buy nine cars and park them at the airport and be like, let's do this. There's <laughs> a, there are
1: many people who run businesses that have dozens and dozens of Turo's. Um, cool. And same thing with outdoorsy. People do that with RVs. So, um, cool. Yeah, use turro. Next time you travel, give it a shot. Turo.com, Turo app. It's pretty solid.
0: RVs make a lot of sense to put on there. Yeah. So we don't have to pay for storing them. We're using,
1: because we sold our RV and we're going to the Temecula Balloon and Wine Fest in two weeks. And we don't have an RV, so we're renting one. But the cool thing is we're renting like we're going to buy one next year. So we're kind of like we're going to rent RVs and we're going to rent ones that are of the the type we think we're going to buy. So it'll give us a good chance. And we're not going to do enough trips to make it worth it with the baby, but we'll buy one next year. And we'll have at least had a chance to try a few out in the interim. And cool. it's way cheaper than buying one. If you're only going to use an RV a few times a year, like there's no sense buying really?
0: one. Really? Renting an RV is cheaper than buying one. I will write that one down <laughs> as well. Renting... <laughs> cool
1: all right guys well i hope you enjoyed the show today again i'm kyle whistle exp realty here in san diego i'm brian kochi we'll see you next time